Welcome to Pathfinder Academy. Class is now in session. Here are your professors, Caleb and Christian. Good morning, class. You may be seated. Today, we'll be reviewing Mythic Adventures. This is part of our book review series where we review every core book in the Pathfinder RPG. And this episode is sponsored by Robert Dunn. Thanks, Rob. And speaking of whom, we have an adjunct professor on today's episode. Rob, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Rob. Let me ask you, why do you hate our time and our effort we put into this? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I picked the episode more as a punishment for you, Christian. What did I do? Why is every major well, episode a punishment for Christian? <laughs> I feel like I've done something wrong. Everyone's out to get me. Well, it's your, your explicit hatred of all things high fantasy. Mm, mm, so, yeah, I'm coming in with that bias. I don't like high fantasy. I mean, Pathfinder already has the issue in my my eyes that... It's too high fantasy. It's a little too high fantasy, and this is just going to push it right over that edge it was already, like, falling off of. In my opinion, as far as mythic adventures go, Paizo went with the philosophy, it's not too much enough yet. <laughs> it's not too much enough. I just need to keep that sentence in my repertoire. So, uh, <laughs> what's our experiences, everyone here, with mythic? I, myself, have only interacted with mythic once. I ran a game where my players were dragons. And when they got to the oldest category of dragons, the boss they had to fight was something called the Guardian Dragon, which was a CR24 Mythic Rank 10. That was a really, really fun encounter. And part of that fun was the different abilities he had because he was Mythic. He had, like, the Poison Blood, which, by the way, astronomically powerful, <laughs> especially if that poison is, is as crippling as the Guardian Dragon, which was it just kept putting you down the line of staggered and yada 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 until you're like, well, I just can't do anything with my turn. And one of the things he could do is he could make you know himself re-roll or make an enemy re-roll. One of my players was a Time Dragon, so he would constantly get hit by the Time Dragon be like, I don't want to be hit. I make the re-roll. I go back in time to fix it. And he would still fail the save and the Time Dragon would be like, yeah, keep trying to travel back in time. See if that works against me. <laughs> So it was great to be able to flavor it like that. It was a really, really fun encounter. One of the best 1v entire party encounters I've ever made for the simplicity of it. I personally have no experience at all with Mythic in a game or playing in a game. I've never used any mechanic from it. What I've read from excerpts online, what I have read in studying for this episode is my entire exposure to mysticism. Mythicism. That's a word, right? Mysticism is. I'm not sure if myth Mythic equals mysticism. Mythicism. Mythicism. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's worth a shot. Um, as far as my mythic experience, I've only ran one campaign using the rule set. Um, however, it did last uh, 18 months from start to finish. We went from level 1 to 20, all the way up to mythic rank 10. So then so. why did you put the word only in there? In other words, you have extensive experience <laughs> with mythic, and that's why you're on the show. Well, okay, yeah, fair enough. I mean, it's one campaign. I know a lot of people are like, oh, you need to have like five campaigns under your belt. You need to be a Pathfinder Society every weekend to really be an expert. Well, then those people would not listen to anything we've ever said at Pathfinder Academy. <laughs> We don't think we're qualified to do our jobs, which, hey, quick hint, neither do we. It's not a job. We don't really make money for this. <laughs> so this book has 253 pages, and we'll start off with Chapter 1, Mythic Heroes, which is 44 pages. There's a few examples here of how do you gain your first mythic tier, and they call that Ascension. 
And one of these examples is literally Green Lantern, where, oh no, somebody dies who's mythic, and he says, now you're mythic, I've chosen you for GM reasons, oh. (laughs) But there's a few examples here of how you can become mythic. It's interesting because I've seen people before, several times, start a game with, you start as an NPC class, you can play as yourself or something else, and then you'll earn hero status, and I'll give you a class level, and from there on you level up as class. This is a way to do that in a different manner, where you're already class levels, but then you earn your mythic rating. Mythic tiers go alongside your normal class levels, so you're still a level whatever fighter, you're a level 5 fighter, but on top of that, you're now also a certain rank of mythic tier so you are a also mythic rank two guardian for instance level five fighter mythic rank two guardian so once you've ascended and gained your first mythic rank or in, in the example the back of the book i think you earn three as your first mythic opportunity you get to pick a path which is sort of like a class there is archmage which is for arcane spellcasters there is hierophant for divine spellcasters There's Champion, which is Marshall-focused. Guardian, which is sort of like a tank. I know that'll excite Christian. Marshall, which is for (laughs) healers and buffers. Again, we're fitting these categories that Christian loves. And Trickster, which is about, quote, subterfuge and cunning. I guess that's a roguey sort of thing. I think they use the examples of rogues and rangers, and sometimes bards go into Trickster. Alchemist is also a fair shake at Trickster. What a lot of these classes give you are sort of additional abilities, not necessarily class abilities, but powerful, more general abilities that fit within the theme of that mythic path. So the arcane spellcasters get a lot of abilities that involve making their spells much more powerful, ignoring certain levels of spell resistance, ignoring certain types of immunities, things like that. And it seems like the vast majority of them are choose what you get each level. It isn't like you automatically get this one thing. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. They all had pretty expansive lists, probably of like 20 options at each rank that you could pick from. How bad is it, Rob, if you pick one of these paths and it's not exactly fitting with your class? If you pick champion, even though you are an arcane spellcaster? I think it can be pretty punishing, but I can, I mean, with Pathfinder being as broad as it is for just actual, like, PC builds, I think you could make, like, a fair go of having a champion arcane caster or, like, a guardian wizard or something like that. Um, But you will benefit greatly if you, like, stick with the archetype or the, uh, the mythic path set out before you for that class. From my reading of it, yeah, you can definitely pick stuff that's off-spec in a sense, but if you're a martial class and you pick Archmage, well, all these things that say you never have to make a concentration check, or you now overcome spell resistance, are useless if you can't do that. Whereas, maybe as a spellcaster, if you pick Champion, these abilities that are giving you, like, pounce, so you can make a full-round attack might be useful to you, but would probably be more useful to the fighter. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely going to be more useful. And I think that marshals kind of get the short end. It's like you really only have uh, champion and guardian to choose from. Um, I mean, like trickster, obviously, for rogues and stuff. But like a fighter taking the trickster thing, there's not a whole lot in there for them to utilize. We won't be going everything this specifically, but I figured we'd go over what everyone gets no matter your path and a little bit of detail. So no matter your path, every other tier you're going to get the boosted ability score by two, which is sort of the thing I wish we got to buy default instead of having to buy items and automatic bonus progression. Let's not get in this argument again, Christian. <laughs> <laughs> to note, uh, the general rule of thumb that they give in the book is that your mythic rank is typically half your level. So if you're level six, you have three mythic ranks. 
So think of this as every other tiers, every four levels. And every other tier, you also get a mythic feat. We'll talk about them in a little more detail in a second. You get auto-stabilize, and you die at two times your con score. That's crazy. Does this make the diehard feat, like, insanely good? Uh, as a matter of fact, it does. One of the players in my campaign was ridiculous. He was uh, an Inquisitor rogue with the Guardian uh, path specialization, and I would put him in the negatives regularly, and he would just keep slugging it out. <laughs> I'm really hoping that all the guesses I put out there as to what's overpowered are going to be right. It's going to be really vindicating if that's the case. Yeah, there's a lot of really powerful abilities in here. You get a pool of resource called Mythic Power that scales with you as you as you gain more Mythic Tiers. And one of the things you can do with Mythic Power is you can Surge, where you get to add D6s to a D20 roll after you roll. Oh, I rolled a three. I really need to make this much better, uh, depending on your level is how many D6s you get to add. I'm sorry, I should say your tier to be clearer. And that's all the stuff you're going to get at your first tier. At your second tier, you're going to get a bonus to initiative, which scales. And you can spend mythic power to get one extra standard action a turn. You cannot cast spells with this. An interesting little caveat. Wonder why that's there. I guess because if you did like a four-round attack with a fighter, this wouldn't give you really that much of an extra attack. Only one, right? So why give a full other spell? Spellcasters are good enough. They don't need it. Of course, this is mythic. It's about making you better. They're already mythic. They didn't need this. <laughs> I mean, you can use that standard action on a spell activation for a magic item, though. <laughs> See? See? They didn't think of it. We found the loophole. <laughs> At third tier, you get full health on a rest, which is awesome. I like that a lot. And you can spend Mythic Power to regain half your HP and reset all tracked abilities by resting for one hour. Yikes. This reminds me a lot of, I think it was fourth edition when I played. You got like these little brief rests in the middle of your day where you can regain some stuff. Yep. And that's uh, spells, like class features per day, all kinds of stuff. So. Wait, this is spells? Yep. All spells your track are is considered attractability for purpose of this? Mm -hmm. Correct. I'm literally vomiting. Ah, uh, gosh. <laughs> you rest one hour, you spend one mythic point, and you treat that as eight hours of sleep. It sounds like it's awesome and fair. If you're going up against monsters that are also mythic, I feel like in between encounters, you're going to want all your stuff back. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, once my guys got access to this, they used and abused it, and I just continued piling the pressure on, so <laughs> it made it really useful. And since you're not getting your mythic power back, that has to be, you know, once a day, that is at least going down. You can't do this forever, and when you choose to do this, you're, you're losing the opportunity to use your mythic power for other stuff. Mm -hmm. At fifth mythic tier, you get essentially evasion for all your saves from almost all sources. The only exception here is from mythic spells or mythic special abilities. All of a sudden, I get fortitude evasion? Where did this come from? I need it more in my life. <laughs> Excuse me, sir. Are you not mythic? Out of my way. Excuse me. Pardon me. <laughs> you don't matter. I'm more important than you. <laughs> Can't you tell? I'm picturing people just walking through like what's supposed to be an, a normal encounter for people, and you're like, whatever, I'll just probably make these saves. And you just walk through the Lich's Kingdom. <laughs> At sixth tier, you can spend mythic power to reroll or force non-mythic enemies to reroll a single d20. This was the thing I was using with the Guardian Dragon versus the Time Dragon. That never worked for me. Time Dragons, man. Yep. Force of Will is extremely powerful. Uh, one thing 
thing I will point out, though, is that this is actually listed as the sixth tier ability on the table, but in the text it shows up as seventh tier. I just gave it to my players according to the chart when I was playing. Ooh, interesting. Now, can you get into reroll fights if two mythic people are fighting? Can you be like, reroll, no, reroll again, no, you reroll, no, you reroll. Uh, yeah, I mean, you can. There's nothing that really says you can't. At eighth tier, you can spend mythic power to end a negative condition on yourself. At ninth tier, you oh my goodness, you come back to life 24 hours after being slain, regardless of how you died, which I don't think even the knuckle bone of fickle fortune gives you that thing of regardless how you died. Maybe it does. The point is that's like a artifact level ability. Unless you were killed by a mythic creature who coup de grade you or a weapon that can bypass DR epic, which by the way is awesome uh, DR. You need to have a plus six worth of combined enhancements and enchantments on your weapon to overcome DR Epic. And at 10th tier, it upgrades where you can only die when killed by a mythic creature using an artifact. So essentially, once you got to here, your PCs were invincible forever, huh? Uh, yeah, but I kind of just said, yeah, we're not going to do that. If I kill you, I kill you. <laughs> <laughs> it was too mythic even for you. I mean... I mean, honestly, at that point, if they don't have the tools to deal with what I've uh, thrown at them, then they deserve to die, if you ask me. <laughs> you, you're stealing from me at that point. That club the mythic ogre was carrying? Yeah, actually an artifact. <laughs> it was a Sky Fortress doorstop at one point. <laughs> and now it has mythical being-killing powers. Tenth tier, Aside from the upgrade, you also regain Mythic Power at the rate of once per hour. How long were your players at Mythic Tier 10? Uh, not very long. <laughs> like um, five minutes. Now, it was, I think it was two, maybe three sessions all told. Like, it was enough to, like, take down the big bad evil guy and uh, wrap the campaign up. So uh, they had, like, a couple combats with it. Then there's some recommendations on how you get to gain these tiers, because unlike with class levels, it's not by XP... It's more of the GM Fiat, but they kind of have some examples of, oh, you've overcome this wonderful, super awesome task and you gain it here. A lot of the book is kind of telling you how to run things with Mythic, like how to structure your story. And it kind of caught me back a little bit. There's a lot of this book that is reserved for like, oh, here's a lot of suggestions for how to implement this. And I don't think any book before has kind of told you how to tell your story or how to fit these mechanics into the game. It's because they're specifically not giving you a number way to do it. I don't use XP in my game, so I have to come up with my own ways. But the book was able to tell me when I should level up because it had the XP system. Here, there is no XP system, so they're having to give you some guidelines because it has to be GM5. Maybe. I was, it just caught me back, especially with like the Ascension as the first part. There was like a lot of examples. There's a lot of book space put aside for it. Oh, something I forgot to mention. You don't have to select your abilities from your path. There's a universal path where you can pick from, I'm guessing, at any point. Yeah, uh, the universal path is uh, pretty important because there's a very special ability in there. Let me find it. It's called uh, Beyond Morality, which uh, is pretty dear to my heart because it basically lets you ignore any kind of alignment restrictions. <laughs> And it really opens up a lot of builds. Like the the BBEG in my campaign was a uh, a monk barbarian, and I know you can do that without technically breaking the rules. But it was nice to be like having something to point to to be like, okay, yeah, no, he's legal. Deal with it. <laughs> he's legal. <laughs> 
My murdering evil dude is legal. That's how my players beat the last campaign. They audited the BBEG's character sheet, and they're like, oh, he's got too many skill ranks. He's invalid. He stops existing. <laughs> he just dissolved away. Victory, you get the XP. I, I knew I shouldn't have put that many points in perception. <laughs> and just so you have an idea, there's six pages for each of these paths. So when Christian said there's a lot of abilities, he was serious. Rob, you said you wanted to look at something? Uh, yeah, so when you select a path, you have, I believe, three or four different abilities you can choose from uh, for each. In the case of the Archmage, like, so Marshall's most of it is going to come down to you can spend a mythic point for an extra attack that ignores damage reduction. But like in the case of Archmage and Hierophant, they have some interesting ones, but they share one that acts the same. I think it has a different name, but let's just read it. So Wild Arcana, as a swift action, you can expend one use of mythic power to cast any one arcane spell without expending a prepared or spell slot. The spell must be on one of your arcane spell lists and must be of a level that you can cast with that arcane spell casting class. You don't need to have the spell prepared, nor does it need to be on your list of spells known. When casting a spell in this way, you treat your caster level as two levels higher for the purposes of any effect uh, dependent on level. You can apply any mana magic feat you know to the spell, but its total adjusted level can't be greater than that the highest level arcane spell you can cast from that spell casting class. Now, the other two are pretty underwhelming. I don't know why you would pick any of them but this uh, Wild Arcana. And this is just one of three abilities that you just automatically get when you select this uh, mythic path. That's astonishing. I did notice that. That one seems strictly better than one of the other ones. I was like, would I ever use this other ability if I could pick Wild Magic? Wild Arcana just blows the other two away. So Arcane Surge, um, you basically can like roll twice to overcome spell resistance, but you can't add Mana Magic to it. It doesn't increase your caster level. Just Wild Arcana is just superior. And a lot of them are like that for your caster classes. Meanwhile, a lot of the martial-based ones were like, oh, you can make an additional attack, which is cool. I'm not going to complain about that. I like rolling a lot of dice. I like swinging a lot of weapons. Ignoring DR is pretty huge. Like, we had to... Like, there's there's a lot of math when you're running Mythic. Ignoring DR is pretty massive. Math Finder strikes again. So of the ones that you can pick, I just want to give an example. So when you're, you're in your first Mythic tier of, say, Archmage, you could pick... From a list of these powers, one is called Competent Caster, and it basically says you never have to make a concentration check again for arcane spells. So this is like the power of these options. They're basically changing some game rules, which is a lot of how mythic abilities became more powerful. They're simply removing restrictions. They're making abilities work in a lot more places where they wouldn't normally. And kind of changing the rules of what normally is and is not allowed. In this case, concentration checks, not a thing. You don't got to do that. You're better than that. You're way too cool to have to concentrate. Great. I, I wouldn't be crying if they were just taken out of the game. So at the end here, we also get a list of recommended builds, which again, a lot of this, like you were saying, is here. I, listen, I know that uh, we told you all these things, but let us tell you how to use them. But I actually appreciate it, especially if someone who's never interacted with Mythic before, they could be helpful. And also a note for each of these paths, they have art of one of the Iconics. Iconics, if you're not sure what those are, Paizo has sort of art for each of the classes and they make a backstory for that character. I like how Mythic apparently means just take your shirt off. <laughs> like, at least 60% of these characters are just redrawn with less clothes or no shirt. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what makes you mythic are you put a little bit of black paint on your eyes boom can't be slain except unless you're coup de grade by a mythic person well i'm scrolling through and they really are all shirtless <laughs> it's great i love it i Ezrin, didn't think the barbarian lady whatever her name is could get any buffer but she got buffer 
Amari, I think it is. Yeah, Amari, Amiri. Amari, coolest of the Iconics, I believe is her last name. (laughs) The wizard, Ezrin, is my favorite. He was already my favorite because he's only like 40 years old canonically, but he has stark white hair. Apparently, once you're at 40, you're like (laughs) venerable in Pathfinder World. But he's got like a sleeveless shirt and he is buff. He has definitely changed classes. He is not an Archmage. (laughs) I think he's a guardian. He definitely has been hitting the gym. (laughs) That guy has been doing bicep curls with like 80s. Let's move on to chapter two, Mythic Feats. There's 26 pages for this. And boy, Mythic Feats, guys. They're like normal feats, but they're way better. Oh, yeah. Some of them are ridiculous. Uh, (laughs) I don't even know where to start. Well, here, start with answering this question of mine. A lot of them have the same name. For example, there's a power attack mythic feat. When you take power attack normal feat, do you also gain the benefit of mythic power attack if you have a mythic tier? Or do you have to select it separately? Or does it replace it? So you do have to select it separately. Um, In order to take a mythic feat, you need to have the normal version of it first. And then you can then take it with one of your mythic feat slots. Uh, You get those Mm. every other tier level. Yeah, now if uh, you refer back to the uh, the Mythic Heroes table for like where it breaks down your Mythic rank, um, you get your first Mythic feat at your first tier, and then your second tier you're going to get ability boost, and then your third Mythic tier you'll get your second Mythic feat, so on and so forth. So why don't we go over some examples? All right, so there's a couple feats that are just specifically for Mythic characters in general. Um, I'll just start with one that basically everyone is probably going to pick, unless you're going to specialize, and that's Dual Path. Uh, you follow two Mythic Paths. Uh, prerequisite, just first Mythic tier, and you select a Mythic Path other than the path you selected at the moment of Ascension. You gain that path's first tier ability, either Archmage Arcana, Champion Strike, Divine Surge, Guardian's Call, Marshal's Order, or Trickster Attack. And then each time you gain a path ability, you can select that path ability from either paths list or the list of universal path abilities. So it really opens up some mythic builds for you. Wow. I don't see any reason not to take that. No, but you're stuck with that second path you've chosen, right? You can't choose one from every path as you level up. (laughs) Yeah, you cannot take that multiple times. So once you've picked your second path, that's it. No more. The mythic version of Arcane Trike basically turns anyone that takes it into a magus. In addition to having a swift action and you get an enhancement bonus to your weapon, you can later turn it into actual enhancements and enchantments like flaming and stuff for your weapon. I thought that one was particularly cool. For me, Mythic Combat Reflexes really stood out from my campaign. The Inquisitor Rogue Guardian in my campaign, he had a a Reach build. Mythic Combat Reflexes, you can make any number of additional attacks of opportunity per round. And as a swift action on your turn, you can expend one use of Mythic Power to enable it. So until the start of your next turn, you can make attacks of opportunities against foes that you've already made attacks of opportunity against if they provoke from moving. So that one attack cap when someone's moving around, you, you just ignore that and continue to clobber them until they get wherever they're going. Ooh, interesting. Marshals get a lot of love with this, but man, is Cleave still terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Mythic Cleave is literally just how you thought Cleave was supposed to work, but it doesn't. <laughs> it's just, oh, you can make another attack against someone else within your reach, not just someone else that is literally standing right adjacent to the person that you already hit. Like, I thought that was just a standalone option. That one's even worse now, because I thought you could just take it without taking normal cleave. You can't just take mythic cleave. You gotta waste your feet on cleave. 
then you gotta waste your mythic feed on cleave. <laughs> Deadly aim and power attack are more powerful though, which is great. They just deal more damage in general. It's an additional damage at the first tier, and then it gets an additional plus two every tier after that. So it's kind of terrifying. And with the power attack one, you can spend mythic power to just remove the negative aspects of it. Divide mm. penalty on your roll. There are some pretty good defensive ones. Um, I mostly looked into these from a DM perspective just to keep my monsters alive for longer because the damage potential of mythic characters is so absurd. And uh, one that jumped out to me was mythic deflect arrows. When using deflect arrows, you can deflect an additional number of range attacks per round equal to half your tier. And you can also expand one use of mythic powers and immediate action to deflect a single ray from a ray spell or effect targeting you, which is pretty useful when you have an arcane archer who's just destroying everything with a full round action. Yeah, archers in particular seem like they get a huge, huge buff from this. Deadly aim is better. Uh, in the arcane archer example arcane strike is much better many shot i'm sorry there's a mythic many shot now you get too many shots you get two arrows that hit twice you're getting two extra attacks wow that is absolutely insane i am very afraid of archers in mythic yeah there's also a feat that uh, lets you multiply your first uh, range increment by five in every increment after that (laughs) what Mm -hmm. it's crazy (laughs) And doesn't Arcane Archer get the ability to just, like, shoot arrows through walls and they don't even have to see you? And around corners? Yeah, he was a nightmare to deal with. (laughs) All right, and another useful one I found was Natural Spell. So uh, when you're using Wild Shape, you can use Spell Completion and Spell Trigger magic items that were on your person. Uh, You don't need to manipulate them uh, when you use them uh, while using Wild Shape. It's just the same as the non-myth version you can speak normally, but you get the benefit of using your magic items as well instead of just your spells. There's some kind of more general feats. Extra mythic power and extra path abilities do exactly what they sound like they do. That sounds like it's gotta be very powerful. I mean, it's not, well, I mean, maybe I should take that back because everything you've said so far is like, wow, this is a super awesome feat. But these mythic path things are so interesting. It's gotta be hard not to choose that, right? It's all about opportunity cost, and if we're talking about powerful, hands down, the most powerful feat I saw on this was Improved Initiative, Mythic Improved Initiative. So it increases your bonus to initiative by an amount equal to your tier, which is already busted, but you can spend a Mythic power to just treat your initiative like you rolled a 20. In a Mythic world where whoever goes first probably just nukes the opposition, I feel like this is almost a feat tax. This seems absolutely busted, and everybody needs it. So that was also going to be my question, because in the monster, mythic monster chapter, chapter six, many of the monsters get mythic improved initiative, and they even like make a special little note because they know that you're going to want to use it every time. So my question for you, Rob, is, is Christian right? Is it just a feat tax where every player is going to get it? Um, so I actually talked to my players about it beforehand because when we were looking the system over, uh, I mean, the, my group's all pretty power gamery and they're like, okay, this is busted. Like, can we just not put it on the table? Cause everyone's going to pick it. I was like, sure. So no one picked it. No one used it. I didn't use it on the monsters. We just rolled it out naturally. Cause otherwise I think everyone's just going to burn a mythic point at the start of every combat just to get their max bonus. Mm, soft ban just by existing. I love it. I mean, my table group's pretty cool about that kind of stuff, but yeah, I don't see why you wouldn't take this if it's on the table. It's a character-building Cold War. (laughs) Just like five levels later, one of your players picks it secretly. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down that feet tax. (laughs) What's that you have in your case there? Oh, it's a piece of the feet tax we got removed. It's a a natural 20 for my initiative. (laughs) 
And of course, there is a lot of martial love for the feats in here. A couple of my favorites were two-weapon rend. It increases the damage of your two-weapon rend to 2d8 points plus twice your strength modifier. And I know you're probably thinking, oh, two-weapon rend, gross. Uh, when things like uh, precision as a path ability for champions are in the game, your iterative attacks get increased by five. Two-weapon fighting actually becomes super viable. Um, this two-weapon rend is just additional damage on a full round. It's pretty gross. Uh, we had one two-weapon fighter and he just demolished things. To piggyback off the two-weapon fighting, Mythic Weapon Finesse just gives you decks to damage no matter what. So two-weapon fighting builds just got a huge buff right there. And of course, there's the off-maligned Vital Strike. Uh, the Mythic version is disgusting. Uh, whenever you use Vital Strike, Improve Vital Strike, or Greater Vital Strike, multiply the Strength bonus, Magic Damage bonus, and other bonuses that would normally be multiplied on a critical hit by the number of weapon dice you roll for that feat. Gross. Now, there's a little room for interpretation there, because it's worded funny. It says weapon dice, but I think it means for each iteration of your attacks. I was instantly going to ask, what if I'm using a greatsword, and it goes from 2d6 to 4d6? <laughs> yeah. I was like, I, hang uh, on a second. <laughs> I erred on the side of sanity on that one. Yeah, probably for the best, honestly. <laughs> it's it's still really good. Hey, question, guys. If at any point you're not going to side on the side of sanity and all that, how about um, Mythic? That sounds like the time where you go, you know what, whatever, pick the most powerful things. But your guys' problem, what do you have against fun? <laughs> I don't know. I just find it silly that a greatsword suddenly does, like, 200% more damage than the Great Axe just because of the way it's designed. They both have the same average damage. <laughs> but now suddenly when you use Vital Strike, the greatsword becomes this powerhouse. It just doesn't make sense. You're right. I've never seen specific weapons good for specific builds. That'd be silly. Okay, so let me raise you one further. You've got a great sword, and you've got Mythic and Large Person, which actually <laughs> takes you to the huge category with a collision weapon. You're now rolling 66 on one attack. Let's Vital Strike that. That's 24 D6 now. Sh should, we th should we multiply our strength bonus 24 times? I'll have you yeah, remember yes, that you're just an adjunct professor. All right? <laughs> I'll have you keep that in mind. And also my response is, yeah, sounds cool. <laughs> <laughs> sounds fun. Sounds like let me do it. It's a mythic adventure. Let me be mythic. Lots of math. Oh, you're too powerful. <laughs> That's what the point is. <laughs> you know what this was? This was Pathfinder before Pathfinder was. This was all this pre-nerf Pathfinder. That's what this is. This was the way everything was. And they fixed it. And I don't need it fixed. You know what I want them to change about the playtest? Nothing. I want everything buffed. That's all I want. This looks too good? No, it doesn't make it better. They could work on the organization a little bit. <laughs> Let's not date ourselves, all right? So, Mythic Dodge is a thing. It gives you more dodge bonus, surprise, surprise, but you can also spend one Mythic Power to get plus 10 to your AC as an immediate action. Plus 10, I'm assuming it's nothing to scoff at, and now I'm thinking about it, with Mythic, you might be able to scoff at it. Probably. You probably can't. <laughs> <laughs> Plus 10 to your AC actually probably isn't sounding too great now that I think about like mythic characters and AC probably not being an important stat at all. Improved critical mythic is kind of gross. You just increase the critical multiplier by one, which hello world of 15 to 20 crit range times three weapons. Now everyone's using a Falcata. Gross. No better than a Falcata. Ugh. Yeah, Ooh. better than. <laughs> or we could go the, the whole 17 to 20 times 4 with the Falcata. I mean, that's pretty tempting as well. And then use that with Vital Strike. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm over here with my scythe. What, what are you guys talking about? <laughs> Improved critical. Increases the crit multiplier by 1. No, that was I wasn't actually oh, I'm asking sorry. Christian. I couldn't. Scythe because it's a times 4 weapon. Never mind. Move on. 
Anyway, <laughs> you're embarrassing <laughs> us. Improve critical with a scythe or a tetsubo is uh, really fun to roll, though. What's a tetsubo? It's a gigantic mace. It's uh, one of the only other times for crit weapons, other than like the gnome hammer. We thought a gigantic <laughs> mace was just too boring of a word. They're like, uh, tetsubo, fine. Wait, no, gnome battle ladder? Can you break the gnome battle ladder in Mythic? Can I do that yet? <laughs> My absolute 100% hands down favorite mythic feat because it has real world implications is two-fisted drinker you drink two potions at once that's right stone cold steve austin confirmed mythic tears champion (laughs) that guy could drink two at once we're all just plebs we're not on his level we're non-mythic he could ignore us i'm loving this this is everything that was nerfed gets buffed i love it Drinking two potions at a time. This is awesome. I know it's not, well, I'd rather pick a different feat. It still sounds super cool. Let me just grab my heroism and my haste. Oh, you don't need that anymore. Heroism is now haste. <laughs> As if it wasn't a good enough spell. One thing I do want to point out, there are a ton of skill feats that you can take for Mythic as well. Many of them operate the same way. They just increase the bonuses that the base feat gives. You can also spend a Mythic point to treat your skill roll as if you had rolled a 20. Ooh, nice. <laughs> Why not just end every combat with Diplomacy before it starts? Yeah, that's actually scary because Diplomacy is technically a flat DC. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I don't know anyone who doesn't... Well, it's hard. I don't know. <laughs> I make it sound like I play with a lot of players. I don't know anyone who does this. <laughs> I play like four people. I looks left, looks right. I don't know anybody that does. But when I've used skills where you can mostly imitate them, like diplomacy and bluff, and even intimidate, uh, many times, but mostly with diplomacy and and bluff and sense motive, is a lot of times I don't even like to roll those if I can help it. I try to have my players sort of act that out, and I understand that. Well, what if my character is more you know, skilled at bluffing than I am. I get all that, but generally that's not the way, and it doesn't become a problem. So when we have diplomacy, I rarely roll diplomacy, and when I roll diplomacy, even by the base diplomacy rules, you're just changing the attitude of the person. It doesn't always mean, okay, I'm willing to do whatever you want. Oh yeah, it's not mind control, but... But in the wise words of Jeff in Control Robinson, isn't it though? <laughs> I have no counter-argument. I've been exactly. foiled. Exactly. <laughs> that, that beats all counter-arguments. It's the trump card. I had this really great defense prepared, but you said it. I still think there's a lot of wiggle room for stuff like diplomacy as well. It's like, okay, yeah, I roll a natural 20. Like, at best, you can move them, what, two steps on the the attitude? So you can take someone from hostile to neutral. It's like, okay, yeah, you've talked them into neutral territory, but they've still got a job to do. They don't want to kill you. They just have to. And I've played very few <laughs> games where my players stuck to the diplomacy rules. I've seen that sort of widely criticized. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's very easy to break diplomacy. And if you actually went by those rules, like anyone could just be like, hey, don't want to fight. Okay, go Which ahead. Is like, I did have a grand plan, but okay, here's my phylactery. <laughs> I did have centuries of machinations in play, but you said please. The phylactery was the pocket watch you found at the beginning of the dungeon. You guys were kind <laughs> enough to listen to my monologue. You can have the artifact. <laughs> I mean, what's summoning a demon probably just kill me anyway. <laughs> you got you brought me a lot of insight to a lot of the troubles I put into my own life. I think I'm going to change for the better. <laughs> Why did I become a lich? I mean, honestly, if we think about it, I can't go to the bar anymore. Everyone gives me looks. I can't get drunk because I'm undead. So total, there was 163 new mythic feats. So we'll move on to chapter three, Mythic Spells, which gets 38 pages, 267 spells. Guys, let's talk about some of them. In general, Mythic Spells are existing spells just with 
more powerful effects. You have to know that spell already. When you cast a spell, you could spend a mythic point, a mythic power, to enhance it to include the mythic version of the spell's effects. There are some new spells here, but the vast majority of them are existing spells, much like the feats. Um, I think I have to correct you here, actually. Please do. <clears throat> so, you don't just get mythic spells uh, by being a mythic spellcaster. You have to take the feat mythic spell lore. And that will give you a number of spells uh, to add to your mythic spell repertoire, like equal to your tier or something like that. I could look it up specifically, but that seems in the ballpark. You can take it multiple times, or you can just take it the one time and it does scale with your tier. So just by taking it once at, at your first mythic tier, you'll get one mythic spell with it. And then as you go up in mythic rank, you can add more to that mythic spell repertoire. What, Rob, you don't want to research it? What are you paying us for? <laughs> Please, come on. <laughs> <laughs> You didn't pay us for you not to do work. <laughs> How ungrateful. <laughs> All right, fine. Hold on. No, please. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I went straight to one of my favorite spells. Oh, wait, heroism's on your list. Dang it. I went to one of my favorite spells and then Rob had already picked it. Rob, tell us about heroism. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so, mythic heroism as if it wasn't good enough already. Um, so, the morale bonus... Uh, Increases to plus four. It applies on all checks, attack rolls, saves, and weapon damage rolls as well. Uh, allies adjacent to the target gain a plus four morale bonus on saves against fear effects. We should probably talk about augmenting as well. So in order to cast a mythic spell, if you've got it in your mythic spell repertoire, you expend your spell slot regularly. You have to burn a mythic point to get the mythic variant, and you can also augment them if you're of a Ooh. certain mythic rank by expending one more mythic use. So uh, the augment for heroism, if you're at least a third tier uh, caster, is if you expend another use of mythic power, target can attempt one additional attack per round when taking a full attack action as if using a haste spell this target can use this additional attack ability a number of times equal to your tier so now it's heroism and it's haste it's all the best h spells put together into one i love it i hate it it seems really good <laughs> yeah pretty strong and uh what's crazy is that um in my campaign they use like maybe one mythic spell they just pumped meta magic into everything i really want to see more of these used but that's the way uh, the campaign played out do you have how many spellcasters do you have um we had one mythic caster it was an oracle so he was a hierophant mm. and i think the one mythic spell he used was blade barrier oh that's on my list. Let me talk about Blade Barrier, because this one look immediately busted. So Blade Barrier, it's a level 6 spell. You summon a barrier of swords that hurts people. They try to move through it, and it hurts anyone you summon it on. Pretty cool, right? No, it'd be even cooler if it was an immediate action. What? Excuse me? <laughs> you just quickened the level 6 spell. You're not even normally allowed to do that. What the heck? I'm really just, like, leaning back, sipping on soda, listening. This is, like, entertainment for me. Listen, Christian, freak out about spells. <laughs> like, you can cast a level 9 spell on your turn. You can cast a quick and level 5 spell on your turn. And then you can cast a level 6 spell on someone else's turn. What is this? What? I don't know. I don't think Christian's ranting enough. Is there, like, why don't you talk to us about a time stop, Christian? How do you feel about that? Are you kidding me? Okay, so... <laughs> If time stop wasn't already good enough, let's just give me free turns. Yay. You can't do anything about it. You can't do spell resistance. You better counterspell it. How about mass time stop? How about time stop for your entire team? Okay, now you can all do whatever you want and no one can do anything about it. <laughs> you know Christian's really excited when he knows I'm egging him on and he'll continue anyway because he <laughs> does really want to talk about it. I mean, but Animate Dead can't be all that much better, right? 
necromancy it's always like a gm fiat thing like how much they allow you to do it (laughs) animate dead's like oh by the way like you can raise more dead if you really want to but later it's like oh by the way the dead you raise count as mythic creatures i'm sorry i had to go through an entire story segment that the book had to break down how to ascend me into a mythic creature and now my skeleton is just be like what's up it's me mythic skeleton Got you. You're back. It's your That's boy. That's the only me. difference. It just changes his name. He knows his name now. He's like a, he's like a Pokemon. He has to say his name. Mythic skeleton. Mythic skeleton. <laughs> Speaking of GM Fiat, uh, detect scrying is a pretty sweet mythic spell. Uh, basically, uh, if you detect someone, you can send spells back through the scrying sensor, and you can even <laughs> just straight up ignore mind blank to teleport to them. Uh, my big bad evil guy had this, and uh, like they knew he was using it, so they were like terrified to even scry him. That's amazing. I love that. I love that you can send spells with them. Oh, because I've had I've had powerful, you know, BBEGs before, and uh, sort of a, a stunning moment for my players was because it was the first time this ever happened. They scried on him, and it was a her at that time, and the witch was talking to somebody and was being scried on, and she stopped, and she looked right at them and said, well, 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 looks like we have a guest, an uninvited guest, and they freaked out and immediately stopped the scrying, and that was sort of just like GM just pulled, made up some bullcrap. The fact that there's rules as written stuff here too, that's amazing. You know what I've learned about Pathfinder? It's such a huge volume of material here that makes it so fun and makes it so complicated. But one of the great things about it is almost everything that I've just GM fighted, I found there is some rule somewhere to let me do that anyway. Vindicated. It's, it's true. It's a, I feel bad for cheating. And then like a, you know, a few days later, I'm like, oh, cares with Mythic Scrying. And to be fair, you can't only send mind affecting spells back through the sensor. But I think the augment where you can just straight up teleport to whoever's spying on you is a terrifying enough threat. Well, for what, What's a mind affecting spell ever hurt anybody? Am I right? Yeah, what's weird? <laughs> and that's what I was talking about. The way a lot of these mythic abilities achieve their power is breaking established rules mind blank was the way you get around being scried on it just mind blank is a de facto it states very clearly well sorry the person's mind blank you can't do mind affecting things to them you can't scry on them and then this is just like boom well how about not what if that's not the case it's like oh now there are no rules take my shirt off there's no rules (laughs) (laughs) when we get to the mythic monster section you'll actually learn that every monster doesn't have a shirt Uh, even the level one spells are powerful. So command is normally just that spell where you're like, sit, stand, stay, and they do it. Mythic command turns that into an AOE. And even if they succeed at their saving throw, they're staggered. Okay, so that's just an AOE stagger on a level one spell. That is sick. That is insane. Um, also a ridiculous uh, level one mythic spell, believe it or not, is magic missile. So the damage dealt by each missile increases to 2d4 plus one. And the missiles bypass shield and other similar effects that block the non-mythic version of the spell. Ooh. And if you augment it, uh, the spell creates double the normal number of missiles, affecting up to 10 creatures. And its range increases to line of sight, and it bypasses the target's spell resistance and spell immunity. Oh, so it just always hits no matter what. Yeah, so just crank out 20d4 plus 10. Just, if you can see something, make it die. (laughs) That one's very interesting to me, because I just started a build recently. A cultist is actually stupid good if they get magic missile on their spell list. I'm a Simsarin occultist, and I just stole magic missile and put it on the occultist spell list. And they get the ability to buff the damage of spells, and that actually seems like a really disgusting build if you're using mythic. 
just expend meta magic and traits to reduce the meta magic cost of magic missile and apply these free meta magic abilities with your mythic tiers on it. That seems like insanely good. What would you do against that? It just says that like nothing works against it. How do you defend against someone blasting you with magic missiles? No answer. That's what I thought. There is not. There is no correct answer. <laughs> mythic shield spell? Uh, maybe. <laughs> That's a good question. I haven't actually looked at mythic shield. Invisibility, a staple. You know what it does. Mythic invisibility, you become undetectable by non-visible senses. So even if someone has blind sense, someone has scent. They can't detect you. And spells that normally reveal you cannot. You can't be subject to see invisibility. You can't be glitter dusted. Invisibility basically becomes just like a stronger rule-breaking version of invisibility. And we've got Blessing of Fervor. Pretty simple as far as mythic spells go. You just get to pick two of the Blessing of Fervor benefits rather than just the one. So always the bonus attack and the bonus on attack rolls? <laughs> Pretty much. Is yeah. what you're saying? <laughs> so it's now it's haste. It's officially haste. Essentially. Then we've got uh, black tentacles. Uh, this allows you to add your tier to the base attack bonus of the tentacles. And the tentacles also deal an additional 2d6 points of acid damage with a successful grapple. And if you augment this, if you're a six-tier caster, uh, you can expend an additional use of mythic power to create twice as many tentacles in the same area, meaning each creature in the area is attacked twice per round. Tentacles can grapple creatures that are immune to grappling if that immunity is from a non-mythic source, you know, so like freedom of movement. But combat maneuver checks to grapple such a creature take a minus five penalty. I love how much of this is just don't worry about any counters. <laughs> hey, Marshalls, you thought in large person was good? Well, now try in huge person. Tell me that's not what it's called. No, I wish. <laughs> Please hire me as a right opiser. In huge person. <laughs> Christian, I would have been greatly upset. <laughs> it makes sense, doesn't it? It's in huge person. <laughs> and it does exactly what it sounds like it does. And it's great. It's wonderful. It enhuges them. <laughs> they become enhugig. Enhugified. A mythic Oni spell, a level 9 spell called Ascension, allows you to bestow mythic tears upon other sentient creatures. So allowing you to continue the pattern of money makes money. You know, the top 1% keeps making more money. Wait, so can you increase the tiers of your players? No, you have to find a non-mythic creature and give them their first mythic tier. So I assume this would be a powerful thing that you would need for animal companions. Ooh, I never thought of it for animal companions, but I think this is just the in-game mechanical way that you are supposed to get your tiers. What is bestowing you, it's called Ascension, and what the game actually calls that part of your journey is the Ascension, getting your mythic tiers. So this is how it happens to you, it is this spell that the PCs get their tiers, and then later they become powerful enough that they can bestow it on other creatures. Yeah, and as far as like companions and creatures and stuff go, there is a feat for mythic companions to treat them as mythic as well. Okay. And one of my favorite spells on here is Healing Thief. Instead of stealing half the target's healing, you steal all of it. The amount of damage you steal before the spell is discharged increases to 10 points per caster level to a maximum of 100 points. And if you augment it, you can change the range of the spell to close, so 25 feet plus 5 feet per two caster levels. And if the target has fast healing or regeneration, you steal half of its fast healing or regeneration. Healing from these abilities counts towards the maximum healing stolen before the spell is discharged. Honest question, how many enemies they faced were using healing in combat? Uh, not many. However, they did have to back off, so it was mostly in my toolbox. Um, uh, I like how that was an honest question, though. One of those <laughs> fake questions you often give. Honestly, I've been meaning to talk to you about that. 
I think when you're playing Mythic, it's just maximum aggression all the time. But given the amount of pain that this uh, subset can throw out at a moment's notice, your your players should be equally as scared as you are of like the, your monster just being rinsed in one round. You know what just sounds Mythic? It just sounds like something this godling character would do. Mythic repel wood. <laughs> <laughs> Watch out, coming at me with those two by fours? Uh uh-uh. uh. But what you didn't know was that store vendor you sold all those ten foot poles to, he was becoming he was gonna become the boss of the whole campaign. And now you just <laughs> completely negated his method of attack. <laughs> or or he covers himself in the ten foot poles, uses mythic repel wood, and repels them all in every direction. <laughs> no, he repels himself towards people. He's launching something like a cannon. What are you doing breaking down all those ladders? <laughs> he saves the economy. That's how he does it. <laughs> He's the real hero. At the end, you're like, no, we were the villains. <laughs> when anyone tries to abuse a marketing loophole, he'll be there. <laughs> At the speed of wood. <laughs> Which is surprisingly fast. <laughs> you, would, you would be shocked how fast wood can go. Alright, and one of my, uh, at least from like a visual standpoint, like the descriptions of these mythic spells is Sunbeam. Basically it turns into an orbital death laser. Uh, so you call <laughs> forth one beam per two caster levels instead of three, first off. The damage increases to 48 points of damage per beam, and when you augment it, the first beam you create has a duration of one round per two caster levels, and it deals maximum damage on the round that you cast it. So just... Sunbeam, you're just calling down basically like an orbital strike, and it just keeps on zapping. It's great. <laughs> you know what game did an orbital death laser really well, only because of how like self-aware they were, was Fallout New Vegas. You can go through a whole like quest line to get an orbital death laser that you know charges once a day, and it's actually really not that great. Especially because you're indoors, you know, a good amount of time in that game. So it's like, oh, right. But when you do use it, it's like, eh, you can't even, like, some creatures don't even die with the orbital strike. And there's a whole other, like, side quest line where there, someone else is looking for it. And when that, like, kind of collides, one of your dialogue options is, it's really not that great anyway, so you can have it. <laughs> <laughs> the designers knew what they had wrought. <laughs> hey, uh, it's not as good as we wanted. What should we do? Should we buff it? Nah, just just throw in a line where we know. We we got other things to design. Another mythic Oni spell is called Lend Path. It is a level 4 spell and allows you to give another creature one of your path abilities for 10 minutes a level. So now, that's how you triple class. We've done it. We found the way. <laughs> Power gamers rejoice. I think Lend Path does have some really cool roleplay opportunities, though. It's like, even if uh, you don't want to go full mythic with the campaign, let's say, like, uh, an NPC were to, like, give them a mythic ability to help them kill this really difficult monster or something like that. You can have a lot of fun with Lend Path, I think. All right, Christian. We work hard all year, and we're coming on the day that we finally get some recognition for it. Can you think of anything better to do this Labor Day than listen to some quality podcasts? No, Caleb, I can't. Hey, but do you think these guys would be interested in joining us? You know, I bet they would. I mean, if they listen to Pathfinder Academy, they gotta be cool, right? If role-playing games are your thing, why don't you guys check out our other podcast, Trailblazers? Trailblazers is an actual play podcast where you can see many of the concepts addressed in this show come to life. Season 2 of Trailblazers has been great so far, and I especially like that you can get into it without any prior knowledge of Season 1. It's definitely a fun adventure, especially if you like mysteries and a dash of cyberpunk with your fantasy. If high fantasy is more your style, then consider giving Season 1 a listen. 
you can find Trailblazers on iTunes. We've got a bunch of other ways to listen as well, so go to our site tblazer.net for a complete list of the ways that you can listen. So go ahead, take a load off. You deserve it. Lay back, grab some dice, and join us. All right, Christian, back to work. Wait, what do you mean? I thought we finally had a day off. Oh, no. The work of a podcaster is never done. Well, the next chapter, chapter four, is called Running a Mythic Game, and it's 24 pages. The first thing we'll see here is a scale of mythic campaigns, like how rare are the mythic creatures in the world? Rare, limited, uncommon, common. This is a similar scale as we saw with how prolific guns are in your game. Then there's some help for a story structure. There's a big warning not to start creatures out as mythic. And here's where I'm feeling Christian a little bit about, you know, hey, how about I just do what I want in my game? Thanks, though. Okay, thanks. Bye. And so I guess my question here for you, Rob, is do you agree that you shouldn't start out your creatures as mythic? Was it that important? So I think you need to have at least one to meet in there, like for their ascension. But starting out your creatures as mythic, I think it's probably a bad idea. Yeah, so hop off, Pi. So come on. Get off my back. Oh, my back's so heavy. What's on it? Oh, it's an entire publishing company. (laughs) So they start out with contact where you meet an unbeatable creature. Ascension, you Mm. gain mythic. Journey is the rest of the game. And then life afterward. What do you do with retired characters since they're so powerful now? I don't know. I have some ideas. Thanks for giving me a paragraph about it, though. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's how I feel about half this book, Caleb. Thank you. Vindicate. (laughs) Ah, vindication is everywhere. Christian, you want to know a secret? It's in my conclusion. I wrote it down. I just wanted to wait till later to talk about it. To be completely (laughs) honest, I skipped over this entire section. It's like, oh, running a mythic game. All right, cool. Well, I just kind of write my own stuff and I like homebrew everything. So, I mean, most of these are probably just, you know, some guidelines anyway that I don't have to follow. Well, don't worry, Christian. There's far more in this book that will continue to treat you like a child. Don't worry. It's not all gone. I don't want you to be disappointed. <laughs> then there's the seven elements of a mythic adventure. Just just seven? Yeah, yep, only seven. You get no okay. more or less. Uh, one of these examples is cunning foes. You know, play optimally and don't just wait in a dungeon to be encountered. That at least is a, is a good... Uh, suggestion because a lot of times one of our episodes we talked about don't play your monsters optimally all the time some creatures can be absolutely devastating if you always are playing them optimally it's it's more fun for the players if you're not doing that they're saying in the case of mythic adventures do it which i'm guessing (laughs) as rob's experience might tell because if you don't you'll die anyway Well, I mean, looking through this section for the elements of a mythic adventure, I mean, without even having read through this, I kind of hit all these marks. So, hmm. like, what have we got here? We've got cunning foes, hard consequences, impressive settings, legendary creatures, otherworldly influence, powerful enemies, and supernatural events. I mean, that's just all the hallmarks of a good story anyway. Yeah, but I was going to ask, what makes any of that mythic? Yeah, I I think that what you should do for Mythic is take an idea, and like I said, it's not too much enough. You just take it to 11, and it's Mythic. Congratulations. (laughs) I like what they put in where they're like, when it comes to consequences, because they're so powerful, and because it's going to be so impossible to kill these characters, a lot of times you have to diversify what failure means. You have to have different fail states. It's not always going to be death. It's going to be something else. It's like, okay, but I figured that out on like day two of GMing. 
I can't just kill my players all the time to make them fail. I have to find other things out. And again, I don't understand what makes that mythic. That's not a mythic thing. That's just a good storytelling thing. Yeah. I mean, consequences are sort of the central theme to my campaign when I was playing with mythic adventures. Even though, yeah, they would have a successful result in one area, there could be two, three, maybe even four failures because they weren't there to shore up some event that happened. You just have to keep an extremely high level of pressure on them to make them feel like, you know, there's actually a challenge in the world for them it's like yeah you're probably enough to surmount any one thing coming at you but you've got you know you've got five fingers and there's a dozen holes in this leaky ship good luck (laughs) and in my opinion that is the way and it should be even though it's not the quintessential way choice factors into a a role-playing game like this a lot of times it's that false choice that we will be doing an episode on eventually, uh, you know, sort of lying to your players. And almost every GM has that idea where it's like, you could go left or right. The secret that the players don't know is either one they pick, I only have one thing planned. But I made it seem like they had choice. There's a lot of that false and illusion of choice in RPGs. If you want to have real choice, real effective choice in a in a game like this, in a game where your players can choose things that you don't even plan. Prepare for most of your writing to be thrown out the window. Yeah, you don't have to do that. You can have the four different things that are going to happen, which one are your players going to choose to try to change? That's real choice. That's that's exactly how I handled mine. So I had basically, I mean, this is just this is how I tend to run most of my campaigns anyway. Uh, I keep like a constant flow chart of events in the back of my head. I'll even write them down sometimes, but it's wherever my characters are present in the campaign world at that time. It's exactly what Caleb said. They changed the events of this one scenario that I had set up, but now I have to look at all these other ones where they were not present to deal with something and advance those, you know, through a logical progression. You know, I'm going to write this down right now to add into our line to your players episode, because I really think it's the best way to handle choice because it's actually real. Well, then they have six adventure themes with a little short amount of information for each with scope, ascension, story, challenges, and ending sections for each. They have how to design encounters and rewards, which would be helpful for me. Uh, Rewarding seems like a difficult thing to do for mythic adventures. Trial guidelines and 16 examples. Now, this was good for me. I need to know what kind of things will level them up since they left it ambiguous. This is the part where I'm happy for them to to sort of, you know, baby bird feed me a little bit here. I need to know what you're thinking about when you're talking about how they level up. If you're not going to give me any any sort of guidelines, I might falter a little bit. I don't think we explicitly stated it, but because there's no experience, you don't really level up in Mythic Tears. The way you're supposed to get more Mythic Tears is that you go on a trial, this Mythic Trial. And if you succeed at the trial, then you get a new tier. I personally, I'm not a huge fan of this because, correct me if I'm wrong, but most things that you design as a GM, you kind of assume the PCs are going to come out on top. I don't write my things assuming they're going to lose and again this doesn't give me an idea of what makes these trials mythic why is this why is stopping this giant over here mythic how's that different than normal because he has mythic tears is that it yes because he had a mythic tier (laughs) (laughs) because he had mythic improved initiative you could beat him like good job you did it (laughs) if you can if you can go against a monster and not use your mythic initiative and win and they use theirs and they lost then you level up that's how it works (laughs) (laughs) That's a good idea. 
I mostly hand waved the whole trial thing. Um, I would advance them through mythic tiers uh, just as the story kind of unfolded when it naturally made sense. You know, I had a bunch of these really ridiculous encounters. You know, at one time, at one point, they were on this airship fighting um, a swarm of demons. It was actually one entity. I treat it as like a colossal swarm, basically, like shooting cannons into this thing. They had a goblin bard in the background playing metal. It was it was glorious. <laughs> and so, yeah, I think that counts as a mythic trial. But according to the book, you're doing it wrong, Rob. You have to use these trials. That's how they get more tears. According <laughs> to this, oh, it's so heavy. There's a golem on my back. The only tears I'm seeing here are coming out of Christian's eyes. They're actually quite dry. I need more water, but I'm too lazy to go up and get it. My contacts are drying out. Yeah, I think defining you know what exactly mythic is is really. Wait, going I'm sorry, to Rob. Be I have to interrupt you, Christian. Do you think by drinking water your eyes will get moister? Is that how it, you think that works? That's how hydration works. Christian is... He's right yes, now. I am right. Uh, this is great, Caleb, because I'm so right, and no, I'm bathing in it. I'm aware I wish I was bathing that if, in you, wa- don't, I, I'm, if you don't I wish I was bathing water, in water, you can't produce water. But you know it's not like a one-to-one ratio, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's not a one-to-one, but, but there is a... eyes are dry. I could put saline in them, but you know what? Mm, a glass of water. That'll fix it. It'll, it'll be help. fixed real soon. Let me start my timer. <laughs> I'll let you do the research, okay? Educate mm, yourself, mm, Caleb. My eyes feel so much moister after that soda. Oh, no, ow, they're burning. There was too much sugar in the soda. You're not supposed to be drinking soda, Caleb. <laughs> Back <laughs> to my fake... lemonade? I knew that would get into my <laughs> eyes. Oh, these contacts. I made a poor decision. Back to my fake questions. Caleb, how's your diet going? How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> which, uh, which soda flavor is that? Some root beer? You hear that? It's a McDonald's bag. Oh, no. <laughs> Another fake question. How to taste, Caleb? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? After not having McDonald's for like six days in a row, not great. <laughs> Honestly, you lost a mythic tier. You I lost had two one, double Caleb. cheeseburgers and a large Coke, no ice. That's my default order because it's cheap <laughs> and I like it. And you know what? It wasn't great. The soda's great as always. But on that second burger, I was kind of like, I'm just kind of doing this, right? <laughs> Just going through the motions. Just another cog in the machine. Honestly. And you know what? It's like this, this, I'm so disgusted with myself because my stomach literally shrank. I couldn't eat as much as before. Listen, I'm doing pretty good. I have some off days. I have some on days. But you know what? It's a victory if I'm not eating fast food and drinking about half a gallon of soda every day. Every day that I don't do that is better than the past six months of my life. Hey, real quick, guys. No exaggeration. Real quick there, haha, Caleb's exaggerating. No, that's what I did every day. And any one day I, I, I eat an orange instead is a better day. <laughs> well, good job. This turned from you trying to insult me to a good job, Caleb. And that's that's what makes a mythic adventure. The PCs don't eat fast food. <laughs> <laughs> We've come full circle. You figured it out. Next in a section is boons, which are rewards for PCs pushing their characters to their limit. And the reward for a boon is you just regain one use of mythic power. And then there's a list of sort of possible causes to get these boons. Sort of like achievements, honestly. Let me read you a couple. Some of these are humorous. I love them. The PCs defeat at least four or more creatures, but only one or none of the PCs take any damage during battle. Using only a single spell, item, or ability, the character heals a dying creature to full hit points. These are like achievements. This is actually one of the best 
achievement lists I've seen somebody come up with for Pathfinder. If I recall correctly, one was invoke an attack of opportunity from five different enemies by moving through their space in one turn. The character reverses a grapple against a foe and pins that foe on the following turn. <laughs> I read that, Boone, as your player actually knows how to do the grapple rules. Reward them. <laughs> After sustaining a critical hit while casting a spell, the character succeeds at the concentration check and defeats a foe with that spell. These are like achievements, and the reward is just one regained use of a mythic power? Ugh. Yeah, it's a good thing that arcane spellcasters can take competent caster and just ignore the failure check. <laughs> I was about to say. These are pretty cool. <laughs> or the risky one, indestructible. Character survives taking three critical hits. The reward is trash. The actual trials are pretty cool. Then there's mythic flaws, which are drawbacks just for fun. No benefit to ever picking any of these. Uh, hey, Rob, did your players use any of these? I don't think we even acknowledged their existence. Um, <laughs> I think we talked about them. They're like, yeah, no, that's lame. <laughs> that's not high fantasy enough for me. I See, can't I have a flaw. See, I putting your con and your, your charisma in a negative just because it's a character nah, choice. Oh, oh, my guys, they like to kind of roleplay their flaws out like... Uh, the Inquisitor Rogue, even though he was largely Inquisitor, like he would never use like any kind of uh, mind manipulation or like domination charm effects, stuff like that for story reasons. So, <clears throat> I mean, they're, they're all pretty cool that way. But yeah, we didn't really look this list over too in-depth. Everyone's pretty good about kind of role-playing their own little flaws. And then this chapter ends with seven ideas for adventures, with sections like challenges, the adversary, and further adventures. Why was this not combined with the six adventure themes? I don't know. But that would be the end of this chapter. We move on to chapter five, mythic magic items. There's 34 pages in this chapter. Three new armor and shield special abilities, five new weapon special abilities, three armor and shields, 14 weapons, and 47 magic items, plus 29 artifacts. Why don't we talk about a couple? Start with a really basic one, one that I don't even want to be a mythic item, I just want to be an item. The skirmishing spear, it's just a spear, but when you throw it and it hits something, you could teleport to where the spear landed, which is kind of like a Final Fantasy 15 aesthetic going with it. I just think it's a really cool, it's a really neat ability to give marshals, throw the spear, teleport to the next to the person, finish your full round action with melee attacks, run away by throwing the spear into a wall, teleport up on the wall, land on top of somebody, opens up a lot of cool options. All right, so Cloak of the Hunt. I hate this item. It drove me nuts. My players abused the living daylights out of it. Um, so let's talk about just the, the mundane bonuses it gives you without having to spend any mythic points to activate it. Uh, you gain a plus five bonus on stealth checks and on the survival skill, uh, uh, on survival skill checks made to follow tracks. Pretty good so far. Uh, the cloak also renders the wearer immune to the scent ability. Hmm. Yikes. Okay. It's and also really important for stealth characters. Yeah, it's extremely frustrating. I wasn't aware of that when I told my player he could uh like purchase one. <laughs> and uh the also when combined with the fact that if you spend uh one point of mythic power, you get greater invisibility per, uh, for 1 hour and as greater invisibility, like if you make an attack, you still remain invisible for 1 minute after the attack. Um also this uh Greater invisibility can't be penetrated, revealed, or dispelled by spells second level or lower, such as see invisibility or glitter dust, though true seeing and dust of appearance can still reveal the wearer's presence. So not a lot of options to deal with that, especially since the wearer's immune to scent. And like normally as a GM, it's like, oh, okay, he's invisible. Let's see if this thing has scent. Nope, not even an option here. I uh I should have paid more attention on that one. 
But things like blind sense, tremor sense, blind sight, those would all still work, right? Yeah, all still applicable. Okay, so that's that's not too bad. I imagine a lot of the mythic creatures would have expanded senses like that. I know dragons do, so dragons are, you know, the de facto way to deal with most yeah, things. At, at the point in the story, though, it was very inconvenient for me. <laughs> <laughs> Look at all these dragon kin. You're fighting two dragons and their dragon cousin. I want to talk about the canopic jar. You harvest parts of, like, lungs and stuff from your dead foes, and you put them in this jar, and you can use the jar to gain abilities that creature had. The list of abilities is pretty small. It's like dark vision or different move speeds or scent and stuff like that. But if you spend a point from your mythic power pool, you can transform into that slain creature as if using things like alter self or beast shape or form of the dragon, yada, 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 as appropriate. That's pretty cool. I love the idea of becoming monsters. I I wish the form of spells or the shape spells would make you even more like the creatures they're supposed to make you like. So it's really neat to be able to like, oh, we killed this ancient red dragon. Let me just okay put that in this jar, put a lid on it. All right, I'm going to become this dragon later. I'm going to save that one up. I really like the spirit walk armor. It's a very stealthy set of armor. It's a light armor. It can cast quickened vanish on the wearer four times per day. And it even has a ability later to turn the wearer incorporeal for a small amount of time. The Aegis. It's a shield depicting Medusa. And you can activate it using your mythic power. And the first thing it does before it starts turning to stone, which you know it's going to do, is as soon as it's activated, everyone around is affected by the fear spell. And then for as many rounds as you have tears... Uh, it will, it has like the, the same gaze as the Medusa turning people to stone with a safe based more off of you than off of the creature. That is super cool. What I really like about that is, and they didn't have to do this, but it's a simple, like one little line they put in there was that the first round you start it, things are subject to the fear spell. That's cool because everyone's heard of Medusa, everyone's terrified of turning to stone, and the idea that once you start seeing this thing activate, turn on, and go from a depiction on a shield to, oh my gosh, that Medusa's head, its eyes are now glowing red, and its hair snakes are now writhing, that is terrifying, and you would be terrified before you even begin trying to make saves versus, you know, being turned to stone. I love the implementation of that. It's also a good shield. It's like a plus four determination heavy steel shield. Now we've got the Sword of Inner Fire. It's basically a lightsaber. It's a plus one flaming burst, brilliant energy longsword. In the hands of a mythic wielder, the sword's fire damage bypasses fire resistance and fire immunity. As a swift action, the wielder can expend one use of mythic power to enable the Sword of Inner Fire to damage non-living creatures, such as constructs and undead, for one round, though the sword still can't damage inanimate objects. And a wielder of at least third tier can absorb the Sword of Inner Fire into her body as a swift action, and call it back to hand with another swift action. While stored in this way, uh, her eyes burn with orange flame and she gains a plus five deflection bonus to ac and a plus two luck bonus on all saving throws so not a terrible offensive item especially because it can just penetrate immunity uh, but it's also a really strong defensive item when it's stored i, I gave this to one of my players he's like i'm not even going to use this i'm just going to keep it for the ac and the luck bonus if you implemented mythic with abp would you just have the most powerful characters ever in existence <laughs> <laughs> what could stop them they don't even need money anymore the gun with no name. It is a mythic Bane pepper box, which is in itself is already really cool. The idea that you can have mythic Bane weapons, I think is really neat. 
the wielder can't be scried upon while they are wielding it or while it is on their person, which I just like the idea of someone that's hunting down mythic creatures or mythic beings and you can't scry them. You don't know who it is. They actually, you can't know their name via magic at least. And then there's a little bit here about you can spend a mythic power to reload it automatically and it can also put flares in itself. Legends Bane. It's a dagger designed to kill mythic creatures. It overcomes all types of DR, including DR Epic, and it does extra damage to mythic creatures. But here's the really cool part about this dagger. If you pick it up and you're a mythic creature, you automatically are affected by the destruction spell, which means, yes, 200 points of damage, and if you are destroyed, it's going to take True Resurrection, a carefully worded wish spell, followed by Resurrection or Miracle. That's a lot to bring you back. This is a very... I love I love when there's like things like this that feed the lore of an item. This would be great to trick your players. They might get mad at you, like, oh, cool loot. Look at this awesome... Da- ah! <laughs> 200 points of... Ah! <laughs> You do get a save. It's a DC 25 fortitude save. Then you can wield the dagger normally. I'm sure as you're mythic, that save becomes easier to make. Especially when you can roll a D12 to surge it. And that's when it becomes like a mythic level truth or dare chicken type game. Like, you touch the dagger. No, you touch the dagger. <laughs> it's hot potato. <laughs> Except you don't stop at a certain time. You yeah. stop when the destruction spell actually goes off on somebody. <laughs> Oh, he got consumed. He's you gone. Stop when one of your friends is dead. But you're all mythic <laughs> spellcasters. You're like, all right, let's do it. this. True resurrection. All right, spell, miracle. All right, it's back. Let's go rob a bank real quick. Who can stop us? <laughs> hey, listen, there's a whole section here. What to do after the adventure? I got a couple ideas already. <laughs> <laughs> mythic robbers. <laughs> go get your mythic tongs and grab that Legends Bane dagger. I got some plans. All right, uh, the Seven League Boots. These well-worn boots act as boots of speed combined with boots of striding and springing. Where can expend one use of mythic power as a move action to take a seven league step. The step functions as teleportation with a 21-mile range, except the wearer must have an uninterrupted path to her intended destination, but the path doesn't have to follow a straight line. So basically, you spend a mythic point and you can just step to the horizon. And then full round action? Oh, well, it's a move action to do that. Oh, man. So unusable trash tier. <laughs> forget it <laughs> has no combat implications i don't know how you could actually step to the horizon since you need uninterrupted line of sight and with the distance you take like a stacking minus two penalty for perception the earth is flat so. obviously <laughs> so it's not that hard <laughs> well if we go by those rules rob that we can't see the sun okay <laughs> yeah minus, mean, cumulative minus two penalties oh no my world is only a 200 foot sphere <laughs> no nobody in galarian knows that there's a moon or sky <laughs> You ever seen a shooting star? No. (laughs) (laughs) You must have a really good perception check. A shooting what? Boats are just (laughs) crashing into each other left and right. What do we navigate by? (laughs) For those of you who are not in on the joke, if rules as written, you cannot see the sun with your perception checks. Every, I think, 50 feet, every 100 feet, you take a minus two penalty on perception checks. So eventually your perception check becomes, you know... In the negative 200s. You ever hear the, the whole passing an arrow anomaly? Oh, oh the the, uh, the, the peasant railgun, yeah, it's the, called. the peasant railgun. Uh, okay, fine. I guess I, I thought I knew something you didn't hear. Fine, whatever. That's how you kill a mythic character. You get a Legend Spain dagger. <laughs> 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 you line up 200 or so peasants, have them all take prepared actions to pass the dagger until it reaches... Terminal velocity and just launch it at somebody. Just make it made out of wood. I've got a spell for that. (laughs) Foiled again. All right. We have the Staff of Eldritch Sovereignty. 
So this is similar to Staff of the Magi. Um, unlike a normal staff, the Staff of Eldritch Sovereignty holds 50 charges and can't be recharged normally. Some of its powers use charges, others don't. Um, it has just a bunch of spells attached to this. We've got, for the ones that don't cost charges, we've got Arcane Lock, Arcane Sight, Daylight, Knock, Mage Armor, Mage Hand, and Touch of Idiocy. Uh, then the following powers drain one charge per use. Black Tentacles, Cone of Cold for 15d6 damage. And then Fireball for 10d6, Greater Dispel Magic, Greater Invisibility, Greater Teleport, Lightning Arc, Major Image Suggestion, and even more spells piled on top at two charges. We've got some of Monster nine plane shift prismatic sphere and prismatic spray yep and for five charges why not we'll just cast gate too on top of all this other utility pretty bonkers yeah it's it's good um has a lot of bonus utility on there uh some metamagic interactions it's solid plus it gives you spell resistance and if you successfully resist a spell uh, it adds charges kind of like a rod of absorption very powerful offensive and defensive item you know what's even more powerful Caden's cup. Caden Kalingan, the god of freedom and the guy who became drunk and was like, I dare you touch a star stone. And the madman did it. You can get his cup. There's like mythic stuff it does and spell like abilities. I don't care. You can just drink from it all day. Get no negative effects from alcohol. And it always fills up with your favorite drink. You know how many times I've been like breweries are out of state and I had a drink. I was like, wow, this is great. I really want more. This is one of like my favorite drinks I've ever had. Where can I find this? Oh, it's this brewery that's like, you know, 50 so miles away and they don't really have a tasting room and they only supply it to certain people. And it's like, well, I, but I want to buy it. I want to give them my money so that I can drink this. Why won't they let me do that? <laughs> now I can have it. Now it's mine. How much is this item that you're only going to be using for role-playing? This mythic item? 25,000 gold. Hmm, okay. <laughs> it's actually on the cheaper end of the mythic items. I think Christian could have a mythic campaign all by himself just hunting down booze. <laughs> I'd like it. Write that one down. Put it in the playbook. <laughs> so if you haven't noticed already, many of these items have an effect that will apply to any character and then like extra effects that you can pull off if you have mythic tears or mythic power. And there's also a section here called legendary items. Rob, can you tell us about those? Yeah, so uh, legendary items, you can take a feat as one of your universal Mythic Path abilities. And it's got a bunch of creation rules for it. Like, each different slot uh, has different rules and what they can affect. Basically, uh, a legendary item is going to have legendary surges. They're similar to Mythic Surges. You can use them to enhance rolls, saves, all kinds of stuff. It's got rules on how to enhance them, what different stages of intelligence and abilities they have access to. It's, it's pretty cool. It's a really customizable system. So you're basically crafting your own artifact uh, when you start to go down this path. One of my players did it. He didn't go too far into it. Basically, he did it just expanded senses, just opened up some roleplay opportunities for himself. And he had a highly customizable weapon. Interesting. Is this something that you could use to make, you know, non-mythic artifacts? Sort of like, you know, we have the race builder. Could this be like an item builder? Or is it sort of more towards focused on the mythic stuff? Um, it does have a lot of mythic uh, interactions in there. But I think most of these just stand alone without having to have a mythic user. So you really could, you know, create your own. I think it's a good template to use. All right, chapter six, mythic monsters. We got 56 pages in this chapter. There's 46 monsters from bestiary one through three. I'm not sure if there's some um, ones from the other bestiaries. I don't think there is. I think it's just one to three, which was out at the time of publishing this. And none of these monsters are uniquely. They're all from these previous bestiaries. So let's look at an example here, the skelly man. I don't know why I use things like gerblins and skelly man. Like, it's, is it funny? It's not funny. 
I find it funny, but I don't find it ha-ha funny. Why don't I just say skeleton? Is there something wrong with me, Christian? Tell me what's wrong with me. Dude, where do you want me to start? Yeah, okay. That was an easy joke. All right, skeletons <laughs> are CR1, Mythic Rank 1, and they get relentless. Any melee attack made against a Mythic Skeleton provokes an attack of opportunity from the Skeleton. That's super cool. And superior to weapon fighting, a Mythic Humanoid Skeleton usually fights with a scimitar in each hand. It does not take a penalty on attack or damage rolls for attacking with two weapons. Uh, with sort of some powerful abilities on a CR1 creature. I was wondering how this would work out at low levels, having mythic levels, and seeing the monsters here, I'm beginning to understand. Yeah, I I think it's a, a bad idea, <laughs> especially with like non-mythic heroes, to throw a mythic monster into the mix. Like Even your most basic ones are pretty scary. There are templates to add to monsters to quickly make them mythic. Uh, and then after that, there's more thorough rules for creating mythic monsters or making existing monsters mythic. There is a mythic subtype and then some new universal monster rules. Simple arcane spellcasting and simple divine spellcasting, in my opinion, are wonderful. Poisonous blood is really awesome. It was a big killer in my encounter with the ancient dragon. And lingering breath, which just is just a cool thing about, hey, it's this... Why, why can't it damage you more? All right, why has it got to be a one-time thing? My question here for you, Rob, is during your encounters with your mythic players, did you ever use non-mythic monsters against them? All the time. I would throw them several CR higher, though. I believe mm. my party was like level 12, mythic rank 5 or 6, and I just straight up threw like a bandersnatch at them. And uh, really the, the entire encounter came down to initiative roll. It won initiative, it destroyed them, they managed to drive it off, it retreated, you know, for fast healing, stuff like that. It is an intelligent creature. And then when we started the second combat, you know, the party won initiative and basically just destroyed the thing in one turn. <clears throat> but I do think you have to add, like, at least, you know, probably their mythic rank in CR again to, like, the party level when you're looking at that sort of thing. When you were running this game, did you find that it was always a, a big blast fest? Whoever got initiative won every encounter? Were there ways you could counteract that? A lot of your, like, mythic path things have a lot of things to mitigate damage. There's certain feats that are really good at it. Um, I would use a lot of those to sustain. I, I basically put the advanced template on literally everything the entire campaign just for more hp and i just did not pull punches like i would max their hp up basically every gm trick in the book to like make fights last longer but generally if you want initiative something's gonna die at least you know in the first turn almost every single time <clears throat> and as for players well one of them was a guardian so he would kind of keep people alive for them to actually retaliate and start tipping things back in their favor as far as my players were concerned the poor little pigs and the cyclops is He's just got like a bandolier of pigs he tied up. <laughs> Poor little guys. I had a lot of fun with the mythic fire giant. Oh yeah? It was the choking ash ability he had that was really fun. Any creature that starts his turn and the giant's aura is nauseated for one round, fortitude DC 23 negates. Uh, the ash provides 50% concealment. Pretty fun. Oh, and also the fire vortex, and he just hits like a bus anyway. There was all these cool things that, you know, hey, the counters don't work. Was there any sort of ability found on your monsters that would still bother mythic characters as much as it did non-mythic characters? Like charm effects uh, were really good. Every time one of those would come into the mix or like a stun, things like that, they would start to panic and reprioritize targets. Ability damage was really effective, um, especially for things like dexterity and anything to like lower AC because there's just some serious jank with this system as far as like pumping numbers. 
Well, let's move on to the final chapter, chapter seven, Fire Over Black Crag. It's 18 pages and what? Wait a second. Rob, you've tricked us into doing a module review. Oh, no. <laughs> he, he got under the numbers. That that costs more, Rob. Yeah, all right. Let's <laughs> move on. Let me type this up. Sign this contract now. It's Very a well. little module, little adventure. Uh, you start at level seven, and at Ascension, you're going to gain three mythic tiers. The start of the adventure, you're in a town, a volcano erupts, the mirror blames it on a cult, and sets you on an adventure to stop these goings-on. You go to an oracle for help, and- Spoiler alerts, by the way. Hey, Christian, this is a book review. <laughs> just just saying, spoiler, in case you, you want to run this, Fire of Black Crag. Yeah, spoiler, well, spoiler alerts. <laughs> it's a book review. Of course there's spoilers. I know, and I'm just telling we people- in case spoiler alert before every spell and feat. <laughs> Spoiler alert, we're going to talk about the book you wanted us, you tuned in that said book review. I just didn't want to get upset. And I'm maybe, upset. We were surprised by the fact there's a module in here. Maybe the listeners would be too. I don't like you or anything you've done. What? Part two, you travel on a boat to an island. Part three, there's some adventuring on that island. And part four, you adventure into the volcano. The final boss art is sick. Look at this thing. It's a Ifrit lady and I want to marry her. Yeah, it's really I like, good. I like how your definition is sick. <laughs> sick. She's wettable. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's not wettable because she's made of fire. Oh, jeez. I can't believe you just went there. <laughs> I don't what, like anything what? you've done, Caleb. Especially that. <laughs> I would love it if, like, any fire creature you could just defeat by throwing a bucket of water on it, like, Wicked Witch of the West style. Oh, no, I was made of fire. Ah, you need a mythic bucket for this one. <laughs> She's CR 12, and they don't put in her stat block what her mythic rank is. Let's see if we can find it. That might have been a little bit of a misprint because she is a monster with class levels. So she's a level two fighter, but also uh, a tier four guardian. So she would technically be rank four, I suppose. Anyway, so there's a, there's that little adventure here. Does it tell you when to level up or does it just use XP? You know, I'm not sure. I didn't actually look through this too much. I just looked at the pretty pictures. I believe with modules, since I don't use XP, I should probably research this a little more, but you're supposed to use the experience system. And I think it's possible within the scope of a module granted you do enough stuff and some of the optional things you do level up before the end but this one has literally some tables of like random encounters that you might just not get does it tell you when to level up mythically that's interesting does it tell you when to get your next tier because that seemed to be the most ambiguous part of the book i'm not sure if you guys gain tiers at the end or if you gain tier through it and imagine that you would gain tiers through it with level seven and at three mythic tiers you're already on scale with what you're supposed to be it's supposed to be half your level so if they level up to eight then it would be about time for them to start getting mythic tier number four. Whatever, couldn't tell you. Yeah, I don't know either. I'm uh, I'm no expert when it comes to modules or adventure paths. And this is only 18 pages. This is very, very short. That's why it's padded with the random tables. Usually there aren't random tables in a module. I'm sorry for spoiling it out there for you guys, though. Sorry about that. Yeah, why, why tell everyone the final boss's AC and thing. hit points and uh, what her weak saving throw is? and 160. <laughs> Uh, we have yet to do an adventure path review or a module review, so don't take this as the format of how we will do those in the future. I guarantee you we will not be doing spoiler alerts at the beginning of the episode. <laughs> it's in the freaking title. So I hope you listen to this one so you're prepared. Well, I clicked on the news video, but I got spoiled by the news. Especially because this was very small and we didn't want to spoil it for Christian's sake. I know how much it would bother him. <laughs> 
But this actually, uh, this this would be many people's introduction to Mythic. So I on purpose, much as I made fun of Christian, on purpose to go into so much detail. And then at the very end of this book here, we've got a Mythic character sheet. Spoiler alert, at the end of the book, there's a Mythic character sheet. And that is the book. Hey, real quick question. Why are they giving me... Why are they adding a, a little mythic adventure there at the end, given that there is an entire adventure path that's mythic? I've never seen any of their books ever. This is the only book I've ever, core book I've read, and I own them all, that at the end goes, you know what, you probably don't get it. Here, Here's an adventure path to, to kind of figure it out. What? Why? Pad those pages, boy. It's 18 pages. Yeah, they needed those 18. <laughs> Listen, we need it to get into 250-something. 240 is not a good number. They couldn't think of any more basic story prompts to call Mythic and pad the pages with. <laughs> so what are our conclusions on the book? Christian, why don't we start with you? Ooh, we'll start with the probably most negative one. Uh, as the book, as a product, I wouldn't buy it, personally. I like some of the mechanics of Mythic. I really don't like how it's represented. They represent it as, you have to use Mythic, and it's got to be like this. It has to be in a story structured like this. It has to be used exactly in this way. You need to have tiers, and then the tiers confer feats. My part of the book that I like is the actual mechanics. I like the feats. I like the spells. I like the class abilities, or excuse me, the path abilities. I like all those things, and I have my own ideas on how I would integrate them into a story, but ultimately, all those things are much better represented on a table online on an SRD-type page that I can parse through them much easier because actually going through, like, the path abilities for champion isn't easy. You have to go back and forth a lot. There's a lot of back and forth if you're actually trying to build a mythic character with this book. And I'm just, I'm really not a huge fan of the book telling me how to run my story, which I'm really going to bag on that part. I don't need the really basic story prompts that they give you for, like, a good five or six pages where it's like, here's a mythic adventure idea the king gets ill and blames it on a religion and it's up to the heroes to stop it. What? What's mythic about that? That's like so baseline fantasy plot line. I can't even like describe it. Like I would use a lot of these as rewards. If I wanted my players to feel a little bit stronger, I'd give them a mythic feat. I'd say, hey, pick a mythic feat for this level. I would even replace some. I would just take mythic cleave and say, you know what? This is now de facto cleave. This is just how cleave works now. A lot of the options presented in this book are things that I already do, like resting overnight restores all your hit points. That's I think that fits the pace of the way I play games already much better. Being able to switch class abilities, that's actually something that mythic tiers and some mythic abilities give you. They're like, at the beginning of the day, you could switch out one of your class choices. If my players are unhappy with their class choices, I'll let them change them if they want it to. It's a little bit different when it's something that says explicitly you could do every day. But, but overall, as a product, if, if I would buy this, I think that a website is more useful to me for the parts that I want over the what I think are rather weak storytelling and story structure portions of this book. Rob, what did you think? All right. Uh, on the whole, I actually really like the system. Kind of to echo Christian here, like the mechanics are awesome. But with great power comes great bookkeeping. Um, I don't recommend running <laughs> this material unless you have an experienced group who's really good about keeping things moving in combat. There's just so much minutia. And as if like breaking the action economy wasn't bad enough already, like a lot of your mythic points can be done, like just completely ignoring the action economy. It's any D20 roll. Uh, like you've got your force of will, you can force rerolls, whether your own or like a foe's. So, yeah, there's just a lot of stuff to really bog down gameplay, especially in combat. So, 
having people who know what's up at the at the game table is really going to help you out when you're using it. So that's one thing you should really take into consideration before playing, I think. Uh, but as for is it mythic? Yeah, I think so. I think that you can do some really incredible stuff with Pathfinder characters already. They're just like already superheroes beyond the can of your common person. And this just cranks up the volume knob to 11. I mean, when I play Pathfinder, I like to kind of compartmentalize it into just a game of asking questions of my players. Like, I present the scenario, can you deal with it? And Mythic Adventures just gives you a bunch of options to really answer those questions with. Um, But I do have some, like, a question, I guess, for both of you. Do you think that if you have a new player that you're bringing to the game or game table, should Mythic Adventures be their first exposure to Pathfinder? Oh, geez, no. Yeah. No. See, I disagree wow. as well. And that's actually something that happened to me with my game group. But he's also a veteran of other tabletop role-playing games. And he thought it was just a riot. But I feel like I might have uh, colored his impressions of the game. <laughs> oh, I was about to say, that's a trick question, Rob. Oh, he never played Pathfinder before, but he was a master of D&D 3.5. <laughs> but it's a, it's, I feel like if you're bringing a new player who's just new to tabletop role-playing in general and you start them with Mythic Adventures, like you've set the bar so high high that everything else is going to feel lame <laughs> they're going to be so confused why is that guy's initiative 48 <laughs> what's happening but yeah that's my thoughts like i said i like the system i i too like it it feels comprehensive it feels as fleshed out as any of the standard classes it even has hundreds of spells and feats and a ton of magic items the way i feel like i could build a class differently each time i feel like i could build a mythic path differently each time it truly does feel mythic or you know just powerful if my players become gods or get some incredible power i'm going to consider using this system to do it especially because it isn't like a final destination but it's a path to get more powerful as you quote quote you know level up just like with the classes I agree with Christian that it seems pushy in Chapter 4. Let me run my Mythic campaign how I want. Thanks, though. But in Th- the Thanks, end, Jason Bowman. I appreciate it, though. The book you're buying that is being pushy, hey, do this, isn't really that much. And it's sort of all tied to enough of a chapter that you could just skip it if you didn't want to hear that crap. I still think it's weird that they gave you a module at the end. Uh, just go play Wrath of the Righteous if you want an adventure path. But, all right, okay, thanks, bye. Uh, and, it, and it sort of feels like with Power Gamers... It could, it's their wet dream, which then could also be the, you know, maximized part of what is bad about playing with power gamers. But I think it could be really, really fun for non-power gamers, not trying to find how, okay, well, if I take this cloak and I spend my mythic power, no creature can ever see me. You know, if you're not kind of sort of doing that, I think this could be a whole lot of fun. <laughs> I'm sorry, Caleb. It's just using the base power of the cloak power gaming now. Just using the item as described. Is that now power I gaming? I was trying to do a callback for Rob. I was trying to vindicate Rob, Christian. I'm, How dare you? I mean, that's my like, fault. Like, literally just out of the box using it as is. You dirty <laughs> optimizing power gamer. I can't believe you've done this. It wasn't so much of that as, like, I... I failed to like vet the item like i just kind of glanced over it's like plus to stealth and he can turn invisible okay yeah i guess that's fine meanwhile this encounter where i have no tools available without just like being completely ham-fisted with it to deal with him oh man it was no no rob rob christian's right it's not like he's ever complained about one thing that's you know rules is written as being overpowered how ridiculous of me (laughs) the book is 40 dollars hardcover 
$10 PDF. I don't think a pocket edition has come out yet, but they are almost always cheaper than the hardcover. I would recommend you to buy if you were to want to use a system to make you more powerful. I think the system is good enough to spend that $40 if you wanted to, both player and GM alike. I think the system's that good. And I guess that, if I can ask Rob you a final question, since you're the only one here actually got to play with a comprehensive and it isn't all theory crafting, was the system good? Yeah, I think it was good. Um, my group's not super power gamey. They do like to, to optimize here and there. You know, every now and then they want to have their god moment. I think you can have a lot of fun with it for like role playing purposes. It's like you can heap so much power on these guys, like, or on your players that you really can make a truly mythic epic campaign like fate of the world contending with gods or demigods sort of thing and like sure you can do that with the base game but this makes it just so much better i think when you have all these different things to not only play with but to contend against well thanks again to rob for sponsoring this episode if you want to sponsor an episode like rob did visit our site and click on sponsor an episode and you too can make us do an episode on your favorite topic rob thank you so much for joining us yeah, thanks for having me. Um, shout out to a couple of people on Discord. Gotta gotta holler at Matt and Josh. Uh, Matt for being my fellow Prestige Class Union member, and uh, <laughs> uh, to Josh for uh, <laughs> playing StarCraft with me occasionally. We got lots of StarCraft nerds, and if you're listening to this and you're not on the Discord, you really should get on it. We have a lot of fun on there. Oh, great! See, I'm weird. I didn't remember you paying me to advertise. Huh? Interesting. <laughs> well, thank you all for listening. <laughs> Class is dismissed. Pathfinder Academy is part of the Trailblazer Network. For other great RPG podcasts, visit our website, tblazer.net. Want to get in touch? Email us at tblazernetwork at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at tblazernetwork. This episode was edited by Devin Tonnell. This is Johan Martins. Thanks for listening.